suppose either one of you know why Bob's car's parked out in front. Yeah, he's here. He's, uh, he's in... He's, he's, he's here at the house. I'm gonna see if Bob's keeping the pool clean. That's future. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. What the fuck is this? Bob knows, Clay. Bob, you were told to thoroughly clean the pool this morning. It's a leaf. Jack, there was one leaf. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Here we are back at the big show with all the big cats. We got the Bobcat out in California. How you doing, Bobcat? Meow, meow. We got the links of the fairway um, up there in the the Rocky Mountains. Danny Sanny, how you doing, buddy? Meow meow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and who should I be? I'll, I guess I'm the Jaguar of the Front Range, Mister Peachtree, the man in action. Well, boys, we got a little bit of a delay on Dan, but we're gonna go with it. And I'm excited just to be here with y'all, chatting it up and enjoying a little Sunday afternoon. Today, as you all know, is Father's Day. And I'm curious if that means anything to you, you guys. Maybe I'll start with Danny. What does it mean to you, Dan? Uh, yeah, what does it mean to me? Uh, I don't know, really. I haven't put too much thought into that today. When I'm thinking about it, I mean, of course, I think about my father. I think about our lives together. I think about appreciation. I'll uh, give him a call. He's out of town. Uh, We typically celebrate um, with him if we're in the same place. Uh, Probably do that classic, um, like, what is a Father's Day celebration? Like a barbecue. Or a cookout that feels like the heteronormative script for Father's Day celebrations. Um, Not that I'm suggesting we follow that, but that's what's coming to mind. And then, uh, but yeah, he's not here. He's in Vermont. He's visiting my twin brother. He's helping him out um, with stuff. And I'm going to give him a call after this, probably. And tell him how much I love him and how I've always appreciated uh, his guidance and help in my life. Father's Day. That was a great off-the-cuff answer. This is the Bobcat out in the West Coast. I just want to uh, say a few more words about our wonderful guest, Dan Cantrick, who we had on the show back in December. Uh, Fans might remember. Great show. Some of my favorites. I really, those, those shows pumped me up and opened my mind. Squeegeeing my third eye as Tool and Bill Hicks might say. Um, so yeah, we got Dan back and this is, this is a treat. It's a real treat to have a guest like Dan on the show. And yeah, thanks for doing that introduction, Bob. Sometimes oh, no I feel like Dan's a man that needs no introduction, you know? Good. Maybe that's 
<laughs> Just given Dan no introduction is even more respect to the man. <laughs> Dang. Um, I was just ready to hop into it today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, some podcasts do that, you know, and more power to them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got a ton to talk about. It is Father's Day. I feel like you and I talked about our dad on the last show, which uh, I've been editing. So I don't know that mm. I'm going to add much more. And you can speak to that question if you want, Dave. But I know we, we got a lot to, to chew on with Danny. Yeah. I, one of the thoughts that came to mind is like, who knows what the world will hold, but like intentions are that I might be a father next father's day, which is kind of interesting. Um, and yeah, I'm not saying that that's going to happen one way or the other. Cause it's, those are the things you can't really predict and who knows which way it will go. Um, but putting that intention out is an interesting one. And I was like thinking about it from a different perspective. Like, I don't, I don't know. Father's day always felt like a great holiday with not, we never had good execution on it, Bob. So I, um, it brings up more sadness than anything else for me. Cause I'm like, man, we just never really did it great. But as a kid, what are you, what's really expected? you know, you build a deck and you get out there in Vermont and yeah, have a barbecue. Yeah. Well, I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about first? I say we just get right into the basketball because I've been dying to pick Dan's brain about basketball. I say we move, we start this show with the more traditional gender roles of um, more masculine voices talking about sports. And we, then we move it, we move it as we go yeah. to more gender bending. How about that? That's pretty good, Bob. Gosh, that's good. Way to go, co-host. Um, all right, Dan, break break us down. What what's happening on the the NBA playoffs? Oh gosh, so much. But I I okay. So I do want to say this because yes, I agree with Bob. We gotta we gotta I we gotta figure out a way to talk about the NBA right now, but do so from as like. It really challenging our, our like where we might be coming with this like cis white perspective on the NBA. And I've been, um, I've had access to uh, cable for the last few days. Like I said, I'm house sitting and uh, there happens to be a, um, a, mm-hmm. a television marathon go. Actually, this is a trivia question for you too. What show, what, what, Tele- television also I'll, I'll label it what reality show is um officially wrapping up their final wow. episode tonight after 20 maybe 20 plus seasons um on the air this is their tonight is the second part of their two-part reunion it's interesting because my first thought went right to friends because i know that they're having a reunion so i'm sure that there's some marathon happening with friends but when you say reality show i think i have an inkly because you and i talked about this show recently dan but i'm curious to see if bob has a guess god really nothing is coming up like if it's you know 20 years of the show i i would guess something like well, what came up to me was The Bachelor, but I don't think that's right. So, but that'll be my guess. 
It's it's got to be MTV's Real World Road Rules <laughs> Challenge, right, Danny? No, but yeah, we did we did talk about that, and I'll have you know that the <sighs> the Vermonters are now um, fans of the challenge after my visit. They're very resistant when I was talking to them about it initially. <laughs> you hooked another. Now they're in. Um, no, this one, this one is a show that is like to me, and I think we can. I have, a, I have how we're going to gel this into the NBA. We have multiple connections, but this is a a show that I think was like has transformed culture significantly in the last twenty years. Actually, I don't know, 20 years, maybe that's too long. It's probably only mm-hmm. been like 15 years. Um, yeah, that's too it's, long. Uh, keeping up with the Kardashians. With the Kardashians, yeah. And what came up, so they're doing this E is doing this marathon, right? Where there's just episode after episode from season one. Um, so I tuned into a couple and I happened to tune into this one where they were, um, there's a, a university class that is teaching a course called, what is it called? Keeping up with keeping up. And it's all about the Kardashians and the intersection with, I mean, this is what I gathered in the little bit that they talked about it, but intersections with uh, pop culture. And I've listened to podcasts before where they talk about the Kardashian industrial complex. And um, it's this interesting, um, this interesting, like, you know, I don't know, this, this intersection of, um, I don't know, materialism and, and corporatism and um, all this, this piece, but it's also like very gendered and gender roles come up. And then there's some like, uh, th- in these podcasts I've listened to, they, they have talked about, you know, Kim Kardashian as a feminist and then others that are critical of that. And it's like, who are we to say what's okay, what's not okay. But they've built this like business model and empire on all this stuff. But then it it creates conversations that are, can become very problematic with like objectifying women and, and how we talk about the Kardashians and like what, what we get as like a society to just view these people from, uh, you know, the outside perspective and there's like stuff with, I don't know, you, you get it all. You, you all know that all, all the complexities of it, but what I thought was where we, where we come to this from is we come to it from like, here we are, here I am. I'm going to like, uh, narrow down or s- like simplify the Kardashians to a relationship where we got Chloe, uh, dating James Harden. James Harden <laughs> happens to be on the Brooklyn Nets and has been a significant factor in these last two games, for better or worse. But it's uh, it's definitely a, a starting point for us. I'm real. I do want to hear from the two of you real quick again before we get into the NBA. What what are the quick viewpoints on the Kardashians or the show Keeping Up with the Kardashians? What do you all think of when you hear that? Wouldn't it be funny if in the end of this show, we never end up talking about the NBA playoffs? We just like talk around the playoffs. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm loving how I asked you about the playoffs and we are going to have a discussion about the Kardashians. I, you know, I, the thing that was going through my mind that whole time is how there's like this moment where 
like something is about to pop off. Um, and it just doesn't happen for one reason or the other. I feel like before the Kardashians hit, there was a show called, uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie. And they were like, quote unquote, famous for nothing. And they, that show probably came out like three or four years before the Kardashians and it flopped. Right. And it like, it, it had a, okay. I don't, I don't, I've never seen any episodes of either of the two shows, but my impression is that the Paris and Nicole show had kind of a premise of them actually trying to do something, which maybe is why it flopped. Whereas the Kardashians has the prep, the premise of doing nothing at all. You know what I mean? But I also, you know, I'm just like going to relate it to Vine, right? Like Vine was, is exactly like TikTok. It just came out five years too early and now it's dead. Um, or like there was this guy who wanted to start a cable network and all, all it was on the cable network was puppies. It wasn't like puppies doing things. It was just like puppies, right? It was called the puppy channel and he got really close. He had like a lot of investment and they did a whole, this American life piece on the puppy channel, but this was in 1995, which like, there's no way that it was going to happen in 95. Can you imagine? He got, so he had like, he had time Warner and they like said, yeah, we're going to do it. And then like, it just fell apart at the very end. But like, um, anyways, I just feel like it's interesting because the Kardashians is no, it could have been anybody. Um, but yeah, they, They've been around forever. And that intersection of basketball is an interesting one for me. I, yeah, that's all about all I have to say about the Kardashians. Bob, you got anything else to add? Yeah, I will add that. I think, yeah, like the idea of the Kardashians as feminists are like this female headed household, Kris Jenner. And then daughters, you know, the Kardashians and then the Jenner daughters are like, business moguls and whatnot so it says like or the argue for that argument for them being feminist is like okay women can be on top of these capitalist empires as well and i i I don't think that has any trickle down effect to like everyday women working class women um i i don't see it uh i think it's only at this like very top top level and I think it's very like produced or like people like the, the, for lack of a better word, the patriarchy, the patriarchy is very comfortable with the, the Kardashians. I think they're very uncomfortable with like social movements like black lives matter or me too. Um, but they're comfortable with the Kardashians. So if it's a feminism, it's a, it's, it's a very like, feminism i'm not really interested in um which is always brings up interesting things because like i'm uh uh a white cis dude and like who cares about my opinion on feminism but i'll put it out there yeah that's great <laughs> yeah no, back to you, I, yeah i was very um exactly what I wanted to hear. Cause I thought when I was watching that show, I was like, I thought about, um, this, there's so much that ran through my head as I was watching it. And then there's like all these, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting to just think about. And it's like, why am I, why am I critical of it? Or why am I not? Why am I spending time thinking about this show? 
Um, and I like, I like your points, Bob. They're totally, especially like the thought of does this, does this trickle down? How, like what impact does it have? And then also like, how is it curated? Um, as far as from like a feminist perspective, it's interesting. And again, here, and I thought it, I thought in particular, like, yeah, that is, it's like, here's, yeah, three, three cis white dudes talking about it. Like, who cares? Um, at the same time, maybe it's like we can challenge each other to have some thoughts around you just that question, like around feminism and I don't know what, how, how feminism impacts our lives and what we're doing and all that. But, uh, yes, this is so great. It's like question about the NBA and I don't know, it's been five minutes and we haven't gotten there yet. Well, let me ask you this, Dan, why are they, why is the show coming off the air? And it, I will say that it started in 2007. It is after 20 seasons, but the show first booted up in 2007, which is definitely like an epic in time, right? That's like housing market bubble. I don't know. I feel like that for me is like a really interesting time anyways, but do you know why it's leaving? I, I don't, I have no idea. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. 2007. That's okay. Well, then part B to the question is, oh yeah, go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say what what was happening in the NBA in 2007, but I want to hear part B. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good... Yeah, I want to hear part I think we all know that Lamar Odom was a relevant player back in 2007. Yeah. Uh, And so was Kevin Durant, which he is not in 2021, but... um, Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I wonder if Durant matched up against Odom back in 2007. Here we are 14 years later. I mean, I got to have some commentary from Dan on the, the Bucks Nets game last night. Oh gosh. It was an incredible game. So I, I recorded the game. Um, and I didn't, I didn't turn it on until probably 10, 15 at night. And I did very little fast forwarding. Uh, even even had to sit even had to sit through the halftime show and hear Chuck and Shaq and get all the opinions. Barkley uh, stood strong and predicted the Bucks from the get go. He was very disappointed in the way they were playing, but he had no doubt that they were going to win. Uh, I can't say the same thing. I think Durant um, ultimately ran out of gas, um, but. He is such a such a force that his ability to score in any way any way possible and create a shot is unmatched by anyone in the NBA. Um, and at the same time, it was like while while PJ Tucker couldn't stop him, I thought just the somebody that's always up in his face and putting pressure on. And like having that type of energy from a defensive perspective, I think it matters. It's like you might not stop him from scoring, but I think there's an impact when you're playing hard and like showing that defense matters. And Durant, what what I did notice about the impact of Tucker on Durant, there was quite a few times where Durant goes to do the the swoop from up high and like come down come down low across his waist and try to then pick the shot up over Tucker and he lost it. And it wasn't always Tucker hitting the ball. 
but it would slip out of Durant's hand. Wow. And that was definitely that was definitely something I was noticing about about like, oh, here's the impact of playing hustle defense. Even if you're not getting a hand on the ball, you're disrupting something. But yeah, ultimately Durant, he played every minute of that game. And that final shot that he took, I mean, I was holding my I was like, okay, here we go. I did think Durant was gonna send it. I didn't actually. I didn't think Durant was going to send it into overtime. I thought he was going to win the game outright, and he had his toes on the line. Uh, but I, I was happy to see that. I, I, was, I was rooting for the Bucks. I'll be honest. Yeah, it's hard not to root for the Bucks and think about Dave Harris for right. me. Um, and just like how happy a Bucks win makes that guy, and Katie Gillespie too. Yeah. What about you, Bob? What's uh, what are some of your early impressions or late impressions? I guess at this point. Oh, I mean, I wish we had a production team to go through our old episodes and go where I, uh, you know, like five months ago, where I said, "I think I'm going to be a Suns fan this season," and here we are <laughs> with the Phoenix Suns as the current favorites to win it all. Um, yeah, I, I have to bring up the West because Danny is a Nuggets fan and he got to see the Suns quite a bit as they <laughs> took apart the Nuggets in the uh, previous series. What did you think of that series, Dan? Oh, I mean, that just that series just completely exposed the Nuggets <sighs> for all their weaknesses. I mean, Chris Paul, come on, like that guy, uh, just incredible. Uh, you know, after all these years, he's still. I, that whole series, it, it was just, it was, it was all Chris Paul. Like he dictated every like energetic swing of that series and the strategy. I think that the ejection of Jokic was absurd. I mean, come on. You think LeBron gets thrown out of the game on that? Absolutely not. This is your MVP. I don't think, I don't think they're winning. I still don't think they're winning. And the Suns like, having all these like uh, young wing players that play defense that uh, hustle. It's just like they've, yeah, Bob, I know, I know you're on the, you're the, you're the first person I think of uh, when I watch the Suns. and um, Charles Barkley was my favorite player growing up. And uh, I remember those battles that they had when they had like Kevin Johnson, Dan Marley, Charles Barkley and they would always come up short. But this is looking like it could be good though. The Clips, the Clippers have shown me something as they've adjusted as like this small ball team uh that you know really that works hard too and spreads things around. I think I think they could potentially I think they could give the Suns trouble just based on the matchups and what we're talking about with small ball um and the ability to, to get hot, like the ceiling feels higher for the Clippers. The Suns, I feel like, are who they are, but they're they're very good. And then you got CP3 in, in the protocol. So I think game one's happening right now. I'm recording it, <laughs> but we'll see. See what happens. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I think it is. It, I think it's already over, isn't it? But I'm not going to spoil anything. Anyways, um, what about 
do we have strong feelings about the peach tree basketball versus um, Philly and Joel Embiid? Is the peach tree basketball is the Hawks team? Are you the, are the peach trees behind the Hawks? There we go. Okay. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Peach tree basketball. That's look up, look up peach tree b-ball and you'll see some peach tree Atlanta Hawks jerseys that you can buy. Um, yeah, Peachtree basketball. I am not. I I do like Trey Young, of course, but um, yeah, yeah. What do you think of Trey Young? I feel like that game is going to be a pretty epic one too. Where did he come from? Where? What? Okay. What's his college? Okie, okay, that's Remember right. He was a phenom freshman diaper dandy out of Okie. Yeah, <sighs> he's not the prettiest player to watch, and I don't really like his attitude that much. But it's nice. It. He kind of reminds me of there's this uh, young adult novel called Flora and Ulysses, where um, this squirrel gets sucked up by a vacuum cleaner and loses like half of their hair. And that's the squirrel is Ulysses. And I kind of think of Trey Young as a Ulysses, like a um, a squirrel that's lost half his hair and he's just like flying and he's a superhero. <laughs> I don't know what that does for y'all. Well, I guess my follow-up would be, is it enough for them to uh, take out the Sixers? Uh, God, wouldn't... I mean, the Sixers versus the Bucks would be such a better matchup, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, either way, I don't think those teams yeah. are getting through the Bucks. But I will say this. I think the Trey Young... Um, He's really growing on me. I happen to like his attitude. I love that he came into the garden and just like let the New York fans have it with the kind of the swagger and then uh, the confidence to put it out there and make it happen. And the weakness that I see there is like if Trey Young's not scoring, who's scoring for the Hawks? And I think Trey Young has changed his game, um, especially like for this uh, latter part of the season and then into the postseason, um, It's not like he seems to be developing a more uh, team friendly game uh, where it's not all just about him, but at the same time, it's like, who else do you go to? Who's your, who are your other scores? Especially when, um, who is it? Bogdanovich. Uh, he seems like a clutch shooter. But he was, I believe he was having injury problems. And then Philly is like, have you all been following this storyline of like the emergence of Ben Simmons as like a, a detriment to Philly and just like somebody that's just bringing them down? He can't play. They don't, they're like worried about playing him in the final minutes. He can't make a shot. He can't make a free throw. Um, he has the defensive length. Um, like he's able to, he is actually able to get out sometimes and uh, challenge Trey's shot. So Trey's having to take like a super deep uh, three pointer. But other than that, I don't know. I've been hearing commentary about them needing to trade him and how he doesn't fit with Embiid and that there's all kinds of other guys that could do more, which is kind of a shocker to me because I thought Ben Simmons was this like new uh, prototypical 
like huge guard that we see now where like everybody is just like six, eight or above and they're playing like point guards, these point forwards and stuff. But I don't know. It's a great, it's been a good series. Well, should we get us all on, um, you know, immortality of recording our predictions? Who's going to win it all? Yeah. I think that's a good wrap up. Over whom in how many games? Uh, can I just give one while you guys are thinking, I'm just going to give one final wrap up. I just feel like, you know, we look back to the start of the pandemic and when basketball to me became really dynamic when it became like a sort of the activist league and like speaking out for black lives matter. And like, it became something the NBA just became like one of the leagues for me to follow because of what they were doing socially with social justice issues. Obviously the WNBA was um, ahead of the game too. Um, But yeah, I feel like it definitely pushed me away from football. And I feel like I don't even like think about football anymore. And I used to never be an NBA fan. So I feel like a lot of excitement um, as this season comes to a wrap up. And I just wanted to say that. So um, yeah, I'm going to make a prediction that the Sixers are going to win it all. And I don't know why it just, it just felt good to me and I'll pass it over to one of y'all. You'd yet to say who they're going to beat and in how many games. Yeah. Uh, they'll beat the Suns in seven with um, the longest shot in recorded history. Um, Joel Embiid. <laughs> no, 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 one, no one's going to beat that Baron Davis shot. You guys know that one? <laughs> yeah. But did did you know Joel, Joel or Embiid almost had one this year where oh, he almost beat right. that shot? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I can go next. Um, well, I'm going to stay with my sons. I mean, I got to at this point. Yes. So I'll take sons stay true. over Bucks in six. Yeah, I like that. That prediction. It's hard. It's hard not to pick the sons. Um, but I'm going to go back to that. What I think is that the Clippers have a little bit more of a ceiling. And, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Kwai. I don't know if you all know if he's going to, if he's like done for the, the playoffs or if he can come back, but I'm going to go Clippers over the Bucks in seven. Mm. And uh, yeah, what is it going to come down Dang. to? It's going to come down to a, uh, a team effort between Paul George, Reggie Jackson, and the superstar emerging rookie Terrence Mann. It's going to be small ball and they're going to get, I think they're going to try to get Giannis to, while Giannis is, is much more skilled uh, on the perimeter defense to me than Rudy Gobert, but they, you saw, they took out the defensive player of the year by having him have to play at the three point line and then just get stuck in no person's land and completely you know, out of sorts. And I think they can, I think they can develop a strategy to get Giannis twisted somehow. It's a good nuanced prediction. I love it. Yeah. If the clips could take it all, that'd be, that'd be a historic day. Well, we have a few other topics. Um, I don't have up next. We were going to talk about the Euro cup, which um, for me, I think we should keep it nice and short. And I just want to say that, 
watching these big soccer tournaments brings back so many sweet memories and it it takes me back to like it's it's a really nice thing and i know that a lot of like sports tournaments do this but especially the ones that happen like every 4 years you you're able to go back and think about where you were at the last one or the year before that or like you know 20 years ago and i feel like we're watching um a euro cup that i haven't been able to find a lot of time to watch but i do feel like this like intimate connection to like um, history and where we've been together and seeing some of the pictures that Steve Owens has sent out or like um, just like some of the crazy things that we've done to go watch soccer matches in the world has been like such a, a joy and a pleasure. And it also brings back memories of watching like, I don't know why, but I feel like all of us have watched soccer with my dad, you know, or our dad. And I feel like he was just like such a super fan that like was always pushing us to get into soccer more. And so that feels really sweet that we're still able to have that traction. That's just a big topic. Yeah. You know, I, (laughs) yeah, I'll just say like we went to Germany in 2006 with Dan and Nick and Steve and yeah, when the U S lost that game, just like that, the sadness on our faces is what I'll always remember. And there's all this face paint on my face that all got mixed together. And I just have this purple face that is in some picture somewhere that I, yeah, I guess the highest of highs and lowest of lows on that one. Yeah. The highest of highs and lowest of lows. That's great. Definitely. Um, have so many great memories from the, that trip in particular. And then like another one that we took and like gathering, specifically around these large soccer tournaments. Um, I also, I've been watching it from afar, mostly catching highlights and watching uh, a couple matches. I'm curious um, because I I have two questions. I watched yesterday's Spain-Poland match. And the first question, if either of you can answer this, is, um, is Lewandowski, is he... Like, is he, is he for real in that he can like, uh, like carry, carry a team and ultimately impact this tournament? Or is he just kind of like this big name that is like kind of towards the end of his career? Cause I feel like, um, to me, he's like maybe a little bit, uh, or he's older and on the way out, but he's, he seems to have been getting a lot of press this tournament. And at one point I even heard him labeled as like the top striker in the tournament. So that that's one thing. Like, is this is this guy for real? Um, he did score a goal. Uh and then my second thing is uh second question is what's the deal with Spain? Do they make it through? Dave, as someone who lived in Spain, I'll let you take that second question and I'll take the Lewandowski question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when do we, well, can you answer when do we first see Lewandowski, Bob? Because I feel like he's been around forever. Yeah. Um, I think just playing for Bayern and does he still play for Bayern? Um, yeah. And maybe for Poland as yeah, well. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I just don't uh, remember the US ever playing Poland, but maybe he, he was like matched up against England in one tournament. Anyway. 
Uh, fun fact, we did play Poland back in 2002 in the group wow. stage. There you go, Bob. God, good knowledge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, you I can hit up the Lewandowski. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if a strikers can ever carry a team. I think you have to be a central midfielder to, like, carry a team. Like a, a Zidane type of character. Um, strikers, because they, they just require service and they require like getting the ball and they can be lethal but to an extent so i feel like a striker will never carry a team but they can do a lot of great work and maybe maybe yeah maybe carry's not the right word but like if they get enough chances they can like save a team and get them you know to the next round um so that's how that would be my answer. But I think he's a very good striker and I would like, I'd be fearing him if we, if my team was going up against him. Doesn't Slovakia play them next? Actually, Slovakia got them in the first game and Slovakia won two to one, which was excellent. But that, that, that group has been, that's the group of death for sure. Um, it could go any which way, Spain, Sweden, Poland, Slovakia. Um, yeah. So you think yeah. it's more a group of death than France, Germany, and Portugal? Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I actually don't know Portugal well enough. You know, they do have Ronaldo. So you're right. That's three excellent teams, but I feel like the Slovakia division, all four are really strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it looks like Hungary drew France, which is crazy. You're right. You're right. So Hungary. Yeah. I guess those are, Pick your poison. They're both really good groups. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, no, I don't think Spain's getting through, Danny, just to let you know. Um, I think I think we're going to see a new era of football where I want to see a lot of new teams making it through the group stages. Oh, I guess I've forgotten the Euros. The third, There's like a few third teams that qualify, right? Um, uh, I forgot about that. So like the two best third place teams qualify for the next round because there's only six brackets. Is that right? Am I wrong about that? That's how it was. I, I'm not, I, I haven't checked this time around. So yeah, it's, it's good for us to look up. Yeah. Um, I will say I am, I would love to see the Netherlands win. I don't know why. Um, I just, I haven't really followed the cup at all. I've been watching from afar, but I just feel like it's time for them to get a victory, you know? Anyway, that's where I'm at. You guys got some predictions out there? Um, I, I, there's a lot of great teams. I don't have anything strong. I just still love France because it's like mostly black players who are like, they were so distasteful to like the racists in France. Um, and then they won it all to the World Cup the last time around. So I just feel like they're a, a, a they're the, the most fun team for me to follow, and I, I like the way they play. Yeah, France, France and Germany are the two teams that come to my mind right away. And Germany has a soft spot um, just because of my time spent there. Um, but I'm not super familiar with the team. And I'm not super familiar with France either, but I've always liked France. Um, and 
like I think I got hooked on them. I don't. I think it was 1998. If that was a year, and they hosted the World Cup, uh, I could be, I could be off there. But that was. Um, you are not Dan. You are right on. Okay. Yes. Back check from our amazing football historian Bob Maisler. You remember that poster you used to have of World oh, Cups? Yeah. I studied that one very closely. Yes, I remember that. You did study that very closely. We have to update that. Um, but yeah, France and Germany. I think if those, two, I would lean towards, uh, I'd probably root for Germany and root for my buddy Zuvella, who's living the good life out there. And I'd like to have, have him get a great moment of uh, partying, just like we had when we were in Bonn. Uh, remember when the streets went, wild when we were there that one night highest of highs dan <laughs> highest of highs yes oh man i i will say dan you you probably don't know this but our podcast outside of the u.s gets downloaded the most in germany wow yeah outside of the u.s yeah way higher than australia or canada so on that note i want to sort of you know, the theme of the season is another world is possible. And we've been weaving this like critique of sexism and a little bit of racism into our analysis. I would pose to you, why don't we end the show sort of thinking through what is a, a world that has gender justice and all forms of justice look like? Um, you know what? What can we do in our mo- in the current moment to foster something that's not so dominated by patriarchal, you know, practices within the sports world? One of which is, you know, just to be honest, like we've talked pretty much exclusively of m- men's sports on this show, like, and that is just, you know. It's a critique of us, but it's also just how it's done. You know, it's like, that's what people want to listen to. That's what people follow. But what, what, can, what, what would we want, say, in 20 years? Say, Dave, you're raising your kid. You know, what, what kind of sports world do you want to bring them into? I'll let Dan uh, go first on that one. Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is a world where it's not... Uh, up to the women's sports to be the um, like primary uh, voice for activism. Um, I see that I've been I've been seeing that a lot lately, especially with the uh, U.S. Um, women's national team for soccer. Um, they're so inspiring and so incredible with. Uh, their outspokenness and the, the, the fight that they're putting up and working hard to uh, shift these paradigms, especially when we're talking about pay. But I think it goes um, even uh, deeper than that. Um, and it'd be like, I'd love a world where the, the men's soccer team is out there just as loud and, um, you know, putting on the fight too. Like how about a, how about they boycott playing until something changes, you know, something like that, where there's just a lot more, um, 
there's a lot and you see it. And I think Dave brought up a great point with the NBA. Um, you see these players um, doing a lot more in that regard. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks last year in the bubble uh, when they made the collective decision not to play LeBron James on social media, um, standing up to mainstream um, oppression from the media and uh, refusing to um, have his voice silenced. And I just would love to see a lot more of that and a lot more of these people with the large platform not being overly concerned with the fallout and ramifications from speaking up. And that's, you know, I, I do, obviously, I say that from my area of privilege in the world and where I sit. And there's a, the stakes I'm, I'm, are very high, I'm sure, from these uh, social locations and career perspectives. But I think, like, I, I, I would hope that there's that the only, the only thing that can come from it is good and that these are actually that these shift to become um, moments of like uh, uh, that, it, that it's encouraged and that having a voice and an active voice becomes something that is beneficial to um, your career and really what athletes now are, which is just more than just the, the sport they play, but this whole, uh, you know, industry of a cultural icon and how all of that can advance that image for better. Yeah. Thanks for buying me some time too, Dan. I agree with all that. And I think that um, to ask for some of that change, we need to demand it too, right? I know that like Bob and I have struggled a lot with being Cleveland baseball team fans and like wanting to be like, we should just be done with this team or we need to like make our voices heard that we want the team to change like something as simple as their mascot. Right. Um, uh, but I think that, yeah, demanding that from these brands, they're not even like athletes anymore. They're brands, right? They are like Chloe and Lamar, you know, they are a brand <laughs> and they're selling that image as much as they are selling their sportsdom. And you know, that, that we see that going back to Michael, you know, he kind of started that. Anyhow, I, also feel that like one thing that I've been like toying with over the last few years is like um, how to become a fan of something like, and I feel like there is a, there's a choice in becoming a fan and it's something that we don't really realize because as youths, we all were like gifted these teams from our fathers. That's like, who we root for, you know, Dan rooting for the nuggets is like a gift handed down from your dad. Right. And it's an interesting reflection. Um, also like this greater society we live in too, right? Like it gets su supported by the friends we choose. Like if we happen to be friends with Kevin Pierce, um, then we're going to be either in love with the Broncos or hate the Broncos, you know? And I think to like see some change in the world, it takes like anything. We, it takes community support. Like if we want to choose to become a fan of the WNBA, like we need to like, think about what it means to be a fan and like dive into that a little bit, but also it takes like people supporting us in that. And so having a conversation about like with each other, like let's do this. You know, I know Dan's little cousin, Patrick used to be a huge fan of the women's NCAA tournament, you know, 
And he would always do him and Connor would do brackets every year for the women's tournament back in 2002. when it was like, what? Like kind of revolutionary to think about that. But I think that probably got handed down to him through his parents, Rob and Gail, I'm assuming. Um, but I think it takes that active like choice of deciding like what we're going to support in our fandom, because it is just like a capitalist dollar, like what we're supporting. And if we decide to use our vote to choose to, to be, to raise our kids, to vote, to be fans of a racist mascot team, then I think we need to like be critical of that. Um, yeah. So maybe we can talk about that in our community of like how we can, uh, become fans of a league that we really support and to break that, um, heteronormative, uh, cis male, like patriarchy that is, um, ESPN.com.go.com. Sorry. Can I go off of that point? Dave, you bring up a good point. Like, um, I think everything you're saying is true. We need to like in our community elevate other sports, like not just like LeBron, et cetera. Although LeBron's great, but like, yeah, WNBA, we need to be doing just like actively following just not patriarchal or men's sports, basically. Um, so we can do that. But the ESPN point's a really good one because in the 2000 aughts, the, the, the decade of the aughts was a, a good decade for women's sports getting a lot of coverage on ESPN and other sports networks. But there has been a retrenchment of patriarchy um, and they do not cover and they uh, like the amount of coverage that women's sports gets is, is back to the level of like in the early 1990s. So there was like a, a good wave and now it's back down to this low level. And what's really necessary is for ESPN and local affiliates to like cover women's sports. Um, and that's unfortunately like it's been going the wrong direction and I'm not really sure what to do about that except to bring attention to it and name it. And like we're in the era of podcasts and social media. So there's more ability to get women's sports through those venues, but it still just needs to, we need to change the structures. So who knows how we can do that, you know, without protesting and like getting people in positions of power to change that. Um, But the other point that I'll, I'll, my last point is, um, transgender sports are really under attack right now and like Republicans have been attacking uh, like banning kids uh, trans kids from entering sports leagues Um, and it's really awful it's also in in concert with banning of transgender healthcare Um, and this is like across the United States like many many states like 30 states it's a real awful, awful push. And so we, we've got we've to do something to, to push back that wave. And Dan's right, like cis allies need to be speaking up on, on these issues a lot. And I think it touches some issues for like cis people, like um, that it's uncomfortable for trans people to be in, you know, like traditionally cis sports. Um, and I think cis people need to deal with that and, or like wrestle with that and learn about why that's a form of oppression for, um, so like, I think people need to learn more about 
gender and like why transgender kids and, and adults um, like being in cis sports is, is like, or like traditionally cis sports is, is totally okay and not problematic and it's been going on for a long time. So like education on that point is really important. So that's a lot, um, but I'll, I'll end my remarks there. Love it. Yeah, Dan, I'll let you have some final remarks too, but I, I want to, um, I think I have a poem for us to end on and it's a little bit of a sad poem, but I think it's, it'll be good. But I want to hear if there's anything else that you want to say to the listening audience. Uh, I just want to say I'm, I'm really digging this discussion and I'm so um, happy that we're having it and bringing up all these different points. I mean, it's so uh, uh, fruitful and we could go down these um, avenues and topics for quite some time. So I would like to like uh, keep that in mind. I'm happy to be a guest in future podcasts to really dive into some of these points because you two just brought up so many great um, so many great things to think about and to get our support behind. And I appreciate it because, um, sports, sports in general are something that I really enjoy, but I've also really struggled with over the years as my critical consciousness has grown. And I start to look at it, uh, sports and all the different ways that it, um, uh, intersects and at times is, very problematic with some of the uh, social justice issues that I stand behind personally. And I, there's times where um, in different circles, I wonder how to talk about sports, how to bring it up. And I don't want it to be something that is not like um, shared and, and spread throughout my communities. And I think there's a, a like wonderful way to do it. And it's through having discussions like we're having now um, questioning it challenging the standards, um, but then also like growing the positives that come from it in the way it makes me feel uh, good. And um, I think, yeah, through these discussions, I just think that's a great, great avenue towards, uh, yeah, bringing it to a place that I can stand behind, um, both as like a pure fan, but also coming from a viewpoint of social justice and uh moving us forward as a society that's you know um more inclusive well said well i will say that the wnba season started may 14th and goes to september 19th um so if we want to get together again for a little pre-playoff podcast uh i think they do i think they take a break for the olympic games um which are happening mid July to mid August, something like that. Anyways. Um, so yeah, we'll maybe we'll do a whole spinoff uh, mini series on the WNBA playoffs, but at the very least, I think we can get Danny to commit to that and get more of this going on because it's, I think it fills our heart and soul a lot to be able to do this. Uh, Bob, do you want to give the coordinates and then I'll read my poem? Sounds good, Davey. Uh, yeah, I appreciate the show so much, Dan, Dave, and let's, let's definitely get Danny back. Um, so you can contact us, email DavePeachTree at gmail.com of Atlantic Hawks basketball right there. Um, follow us on Instagram, thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. TikTok, 
uh, Dave Peachtree. Find the big man, TikToking, sending ad reels. Um, what else we got, Dave? Oh, yeah, Twitter. Uh, at bmaze19 and then our website, drivingindystopia.com. Back at you, Dave. Love it. Yep. So I actually heard this poem for the first time on TikTok. And uh, I don't know if the author, her name is Merritt Malloy. Um, and I don't know. Uh, she doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. But uh, I just really, this poem spoke to me and it reminded me a lot of not only our dad who passed away, but uh, Bob Patchlick who passed away this year. It's called Epitaph. And yeah, it's, it's just a little seven, seven stanza poem. And uh, yeah, you can, we'll play some music to it too. When I, di- when I die, give what's left of me away to my children and old men that wait to die. And if you need to cry, cry for your brother walking the street beside you. And when you need me, put your arms around anyone and give them what you need to give to me. I want to leave you something, something better than words or sounds. Look for me in the people I've known or loved. And if you cannot give me away, at least let me live on in your eyes and not in your mind. You can love me most by letting hands touch hands, by letting bodies touch bodies, and by letting go of children that need to be free. Love doesn't die. People do. And when all that's left of me is love, give me away. Epitaph by Merritt Malloy. All right, boys. Love you both. Great poem, Dave. Good tradition. Ending with a poem. Yes. Much much love to both of you. I love it. We got Poetry, pop culture, sports, activism, social justice. We got it all. Yes. All right. See you next week. What's up, Driving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer, and of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. Our new outro song is Fox Goldberg Variations, Variato 3 a 1, by Kimiko Ishizaka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>